Hello and welcome to the Joyful Doctor podcast. My name is Dr Caroline Walker and I am the Joyful Doctor. Uh, I have a real passion for helping doctors to live happier lives full of reward and meaning and that's why I really wanted to bring you this podcast. Each episode is going to be an interview with an amazing doctor that I respect, love, admire and think has some wonderful things to share with you to help you to become an even more joyful doctor than you already are. I've um, really struggled over the years and um, as a doctor and also, you know, I've fallen in and out of love with medicine many, many times and, and through it all, I just keep coming back to this idea that we should be doing more of what we love. So I hope that through listening to these podcasts, you might be able to connect with what it is that you really love to do and to do more of it. Welcome. Welcome to the Joyful Doctor podcast. Welcome. Welcome to the latest episode of the Joyful Doctor podcast. Um, it's uh, just lovely to have with me today uh, Dr. Julia Batson-Dean-Jones. Welcome, Julia. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Julia um, is a, a pathologist, a wonderful pathologist, and um, she's a doctor who has, has had some struggles herself, just as I have over the years, and I really wanted to... Um, get her onto the podcast so that we could all kind of benefit from her experience and wisdom of, of having struggled and of having got through some pretty tough times. So Julia, thank you for being here. Oh, you're welcome. Um, I always start by asking my um, interviewees what um, what it means to you to be a joyful doctor. Um, this is certainly uh, something that I'm working on. Um, I like to do the job as well as I can. Mm. I like to be a good colleague to my um, medical colleagues, mm. my colleagues in the office, mm. everyone in the department, people I work with, the MDT coordinators. I like to be considered decent and respected. Mm. And uh, this is that's all of the problems I've had in the past, I've always hidden because I always thought that I would lose everyone's respect. Yeah. And, um, so I, I, I just, I just hid everything. I like my colleagues asking me for advice, practical advice. I like them mm. asking me for their opinions. I like it when they come into my office just for a chat. Um, I used to think I had to be perfect mm. and it's taken me quite some time to realize that I don't need to be perfect. It's okay to be good enough. Um, Every time I tell somebody that I've had mental health problems in the past and now still, it's a sort of a calculated leap of faith. I have to mm-hmm. sort of just I do make that sort of um, judgment call as to whether it's the right thing to say. And whenever I have, it always has been. My colleagues have been amazing. My family have been amazing. My friends, um, and because of all that support and being able to ask for help and getting it it's it's made a big difference and so I am much happier now than I was in the past I love that I love that idea that actually um, being a joyful doctor isn't so much necessarily about 
the job of being a doctor and being with patients, but as as much about your colleagues actually and the people you work alongside and and your family as well. Mm-hmm. It's just like being a whole a whole human being in this job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My family, my dogs, my sport, yeah. and the art that I do. Staying in the staying in the job I do allows me to do the art as a hobby, which I love. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd love to hear more about your art in a minute, if <laughs> I may. Um, but for now, if we could just stick with that. Um, you you mentioned, you know, that you'd had some mental health problems and. Um, you alluded to the fact that you, you've struggled. Could you tell us a bit more about that and perhaps a time when you weren't such a joyful doctor? Um, yes, well, I've, I had, I've had problems since I was a child. I had um, OCD. Looking back on it, I realised it started when I was about 10. I was one of those anxious children, really cautious, always wanted to be perfect. Mm. Um, started rituals to try and protect my family Mm. knew that it wasn't normal but I didn't really think twice about mentioning it to anyone it just I I assumed it was just part of me and that was how things were so I accepted it uh, and carried it all the way through school all the way through university and into medicine by which time it got quite a bit worse Mm. Um, I was struggling as a house officer I used to struggle um uh, worrying about patients after I'd seen them worrying over the weekend, worrying about blood results if I checked them, were they, have I checked them right? I was staying late just to check blood results. Mm. I used to dread doing anything practical in case I, in case anything happened. Mm. Um, so I just I just spent most of the time worrying, um, and carried that into my next job, which I thought might be better. And when I went into pathology, mm. I thought it was quite a familiar thing for me because I'd done a fourth year project in it. And I thought I'd have more control. Mm. Um, but it, it, quite a lot of it actually fed the OCD. Mm. Um, I had problems at work. I had problems getting to work. I couldn't get out of the house. I couldn't. I was checking all the windows and doors, staring at taps, putting my hands under taps, checking the oven. Um, when we had dogs, checking the dogs were okay. So I'd be late to work and then I couldn't do anything without worrying and all the, and I had contamination problems at, at home. I'd be washing my hands all the time so they bled. I'd be washing my phone after I'd been to work. Um, wouldn't really touch the children until I'd had a full shower when I'd get in through the front door. Um, and through all of this you were still working? I was still working, on. still yeah. working and although I'm sure my family probably thought it was a bit weird that I was like yeah, rushing in and immediately having a shower, it's just, mm. you know, it just became normal for me mm-hmm. um, and I never ever spoke about it, I was just so embarrassed by these th- thoughts mm. and actions, the actual rituals that I was doing, I, I knew they were silly they didn't make sense and that made me more and more embarrassed and more and more ashamed and more wanting to keep it a secret mm, mm. I thought if I anyone mm. if it got out I'd be ruined ruined as a doctor um and that was so not true when I did open up to the first few people they were amazing I couldn't even say the words OCD without crying mm. um and yet the more I said it I just said it's for a handful of people to begin with and then it just became easier, it became less powerful. And then when I actually went for help, when I realised, I know it sounds really ignorant, but it was ignorance and shame that stopped me from going for help, because I wouldn't even Google what OCD was mm, mm. and if it could be treated. So 
it wasn't until it got really bad about four years ago that I decided I would I, I could go and get some help mm. and that was a turning point mm. I think um, what you've described is something that a lot of doctors would be able to identify with because I think especially in those early years you know on the wards there's so much pressure and such a sense of responsibility that if you make a mistake you know that the consequences could be so um, literally deadly actually yes, yeah, yeah. Um, that yeah, that many, many, many doctors, even if they're not suffering per se with, with you know, full-blown OCD, can identify with that, being trapped in that cycle of feeling anxious, feeling like they need to check things, like yeah. they need to make sure everything's done um, before they leave work for the day, and that often leading to them staying late. Or, yes, yeah. 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 Um, so you, you said that something, you know, led you eventually to be getting help. What, what happened there? What kind of led you to finally...? Um, I had been... Um... I had been coming, going, going into work earlier and earlier, saying, oh, if I go into work, I'll be coming home on time. But I wasn't. I was coming home later and later as well. So I was getting home around, you know, 10 o'clock at night. Um, and my, my, my close colleague used to go home and I'd tell her, yeah, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be leaving in a minute. And I never did. So she never knew. And my husband, I used to just say, well, you know, I'm a bit slow. But it did come to the crunch weekend when he was quite... He, he said he nearly phoned my colleague to ask me where on earth I was. Mm. And he was... Um, I think we, did, we just had, had a difficult weekend. Yeah, and yeah. then I just... He, so he was the first person I actually said the words to. He, he sort of knew, mm. but he knew that I would have denied it if he had asked me. Mm. And I was ready, I guess, to try and do something about it. And it was either that that he he was going to actually phone my work and say that what's going on and mm. and or I come come no, come out and just say look, um, this is what the problem is and I can I can go and get some help. So it's so almost like it did. had to come to it a crisis. To a, it point came to a crisis of, yeah. point. And I know that I was being really unfair on my family. Whenever we were asked anywhere on a Friday, which was my last day as a part time during the week, they always went ahead without me. Mm. They always knew that I'd never make it on time. And you know when we did things, we never—I never had dinner with them in the evening on a Friday because mm. I was never home on time. Mm. So really, um, and I see this so often with doctors as well. And I certainly experienced it that my difficulties didn't just affect me at work. Actually, it was in all areas yeah. of my life. Yeah. So when you came for that help, what sort of what sort of help did you get, and what what um, what did you get from it? Well, initially, I phoned, I contacted... Oh, well, I went to my GP and just cried in the office. Mm -hmm. And he told me I could self-refer to IAPT, mm -hmm. um, uh, which I did. And then I had... Uh, I agreed, just because they said I'd get it sooner, I agreed to a telephone course of CBT, which helped a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and then... But, I mean, it's quite complicated with the way that my work was, because I'm a cytologist... You know, and I'm looking at slides, and there was there, I'd got into these rituals of checking and checking over the slides, and I wasn't able to even read the reports properly on a screen without I was like reading them forty, fifty times. Oh gosh! Um, and I couldn't. It was very difficult to explain on on the phone, but it, we, it made some improvements. Um, and then I actually had two more lots of face to face CBT, mm -hmm. and then I was referred to the specialist centre. Mm -hmm. Um, where the treatment was um, uh, actually quite challenging 
um, mm. and things I didn't really want to do. But bit by bit, it started to chip away at the power the OCD had on me. Mm. And I started to realise that me thinking that like not brushing my teeth in a certain way might cause something to happen to somebody in my family, mm. I took the chance of actually changing the way I brushed my teeth. And to me, that was a risk. Yeah. Um, and little things like that, I started having a new normal um, and um, realising that um, I didn't need to be afraid of these things happening and, th- and me doing these rituals and special things wasn't going to change the, ri- the chances of these things happening. Mm. So you, I mean, you described early on when you were really, really struggling this, I got this real sense that you were very very isolated not able to say even the words OCD to anybody not to uh, not you know feeling like you couldn't ask for help feeling like you were fearful of the consequences for your career it's often something I hear from doctors you know they worry they're going to get struck off or somehow told they can't be a doctor anymore or what's changed what's different now what is life like for you now now that you've been through treatment and you're on the other side um I can talk really openly about it now I feel um, I've had contact with other people who have meant a lot to me who have told me that they have mental health struggles and that you know that me Mm. hearing that from them changes the way I see it and Mm. then I think well I don't think any less of them now and they've just opened up to me are some of them doctors yes yeah yeah. and then um, I find that um, at work, if I haven't told everybody, but I don't mind people knowing, and I'd f- I feel like it then, you know, opening up and seeming vulnerable mm. seems to actually give me that. Uh, I think people maybe think they can come come talk to me because it, I tell you, mm. nothing that anyone can say can shock me. <laughs> uh, I say that to my children as well. Uh, I think they believe me. I you know, they really you know yeah. the w- the weird stuff that I have thought and done. There yeah. is nothing that would shock me. Yeah, and that was what was really nice about the therapy is that I'd think it was just the most ridiculous thing ever, and eventually someone up the courage to tell my therapist. And then, you know, the therapist should just, like, take it in, in, in their stride and be like, yeah, okay. And and you just think, oh, really? I, that was okay then, you know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I see that time and time again, yeah, particularly with doctors, that they they'll hold something inside that they, see, they think is deeply uh, shameful or somehow going to cause real upset or, or problems for them if they reveal it. And actually, when they do reveal it, it's a massive relief because mm-hmm. actually... Um, there's very little, yeah, that can, can yeah. shock a, a trained professional's there <laughs> to help you. Um, oh, wow. So what's um, what's different in your day-to-day life now? What can you do that you couldn't do back then? Like, what have you noticed as a doctor and as a... Um, at, at home. Well, at home, I can go out of the house with just what I would call normal checks. I don't look at the oven anymore. I don't check the back door. I don't go around the whole house checking the windows mm-hmm. and taps. Um, I can when I drive the. I can shower normally. I can brush my teeth normally. When I go out and drive the car, when I stop, when I park it, I used to have to check the hand, handbrake a certain number of times to keep my children safe. Mm. I, I don't have to do that anymore. And I, I don't have to wash my hands as many times. Um, I. Um, 
when I go to bed, I don't have to go through the rituals I used to have to go through, which took forever. I used to dread going to bed, put it off because it was such a big ritual. Mm. But now I don't have to check my credit cards, I don't check all the windows, or it's just normal checks. How long was it taking you to go to bed? It's taking me about sort of half an hour, three quarters of an hour. Gosh. Um, yeah. Uh, and then I just check on the children, mm. making sure that nobody's going to fall over anything on the landing. Um, and at work, what have you noticed? What's at work? I well, at work, I've got a new normal. Um, being open with my colleague, my senior colleague, when I first told her, meant that when I was having my therapy, she uh, and I could say I could ask her silly things. It meant I could now ask her silly things. Mm. So I said to her, "Can I sit with you while you look at a slide?" And I that's wow. pretty beginner like, but she got it and she showed me what she was doing so because i was looking at a slide like 10 15 times and i forgot what was normal yeah. i was just looking at it so many times so yeah. so i actually sat sat with her for a while yeah. so now i have a new normal of how i look at slides new normal of how i check the names and the numbers not mm. excessive mm. do you know i think that's a really powerful um tip actually for all doctors because i often see doctors who are relatively healthy and well but who are struggling because something they're doing at work is causing them stress. So let's say they're trying to see X number of patients, they're trying to see 30 patients in a, a surgery. And actually when they then connect with other people and ask them what they're doing, it can be really powerful and really helpful just to normalise. Yeah. Actually not everybody is seeing that many or or you know, spending that long or going into that much detail or yeah. actually just um seeing that there's a range and yeah. that actually we often are holding ourselves to a higher standard than we think we need to, whether we have O C D or not. Yes, you know, yeah, that, yeah. yeah. Um and that connecting with other doctors and just getting a sense for what's what's yeah. normal and what's yeah. I mean, it is difficult because I didn't want to be a burden on my colleagues and I sort of knew that once I admitted that I have an issue, that potentially it could start to have effects on them. But, um, I mean, occupational health have been really helpful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, my department have made changes. Mm, fantastic. And my colleagues are amazing. Um, and so it means that I can work to my maximum, do the most I can. Yeah. Um, and... Um, Whenever I used to feel guilty about it, and a therapist would say, "Well, would you do it for them?" Yes, I would. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I I have to remind myself of that as well. I think um, I used to feel very guilty about taking time off, um, but I I learned eventually that actually by taking time off earlier rather than later, I didn't need as much time off, yeah. and by being as well as I possibly could be, actually I was a much better asset to the to the team and. And I experienced similar to you when I started to open up. It actually allowed other people to as well, and that was a really empowering thing yes. for me to realise I could help others. Mm. And you know, and through doing things like this podcast, yeah. you know, isn't that yeah, phenomenal? Absolutely. That yeah. things like this wouldn't have even existed, I think, sort of twenty, thirty years ago. Oh, so have you had uh, sort of from your incredible journey and rich experience, sort of one one or two tips that you if you could pass um, on to doctors out there who might be struggling? What would you say? I'd say don't suffer in silence Mm. Um, and I'd say reach out for help Mm -hmm. and if you see somebody else struggling and you can do something reach out to help them as well wonderful and another question that I ask all of my guests on the podcast is um, if there was a book that you um, could recommend to doctors what would you 
what would you recommend? Um, this is probably it's um, it's not one of those sort of help books, but mm-hmm. it's one that made a big difference to me. Um, called Mad Girl by Bryony e. Gordon. Yes, I and know it. I know it. Wow. That's yeah. about it, she's she's not she, she's not giving advice. She just tells a story, her yeah. OCD story. She's a journalist, right? She's a journalist. Yeah, Telegraph. In fact, I think she interviewed Prince Harry when yes. he came and talked out yes. and talked on her podcast, Mad World, about. Um, having had mental health problems yes. and support and yes. yeah yeah so she's um, quite active in promoting yes. and, um, mental health awareness yeah. and yeah, yeah and her book was so open and honest and yeah when I, when I read those things going through her mind it just makes you just start to think it wasn't what I had wasn't it's not me that weird yeah. it wasn't that, that different yeah no. yeah no and it wasn't it was something that could be dealt with and it wasn't just something that I had to accept forever yeah that there is help out there mm-hmm. yeah julia thank you so so much for coming today and for speaking to us uh, so openly and so bravely about your um the challenges that you've faced and the things that have helped you um i i hope you'll come back and speak to us again yes, one day I'd love to. and give us an update <laughs> um um thank you okay it's a pleasure thank you so much for listening to this episode of the joyful doctor podcast uh, really um, excited that you've found the podcast and if you've enjoyed it I would love it if you would maybe share it with another doctor that you know that might enjoy it too and get something out of it um, as I say I'm all about trying to help doctors to live happier lives um, if you'd like to um, keep abreast of what's happening at Joyful Doctor then do pop over to joyfuldoctor.com and you can follow me on any of the major social media um, sites from Facebook to Instagram to Twitter to LinkedIn. Um, I really hope to connect with some of you soon and please tune in again um, for another episode of the Joyful Doctor podcast.